0: This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, where I serve as pastor, or anyone who's looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. It's the basis of the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on December 4, 2022. This is the second message in a series called The With Us God, and it is our series through Advent, the four weeks before Christmas, and Christmas here at First Free. We open this episode in Luke chapter 1 to a familiar encounter between Mary and what will eventually be... be Elizabeth, but it begins with the announcement to Mary, what is happening in her and through her. And here we find um, a story that is rich in meaning and texture as the angel Gabriel, who has just appeared in the passage just earlier in Luke chapter 1 to Zechariah, now appears to Mary as uh, there's a meeting that will eventually take place between Mary and Elizabeth in which they can compare how God is at work in each of their lives. When the angel Gabriel appears to Mary in Nazareth, where she happens to live, it opens us up in these first few verses, verses 26 to 29, to the wonder of calling. It says at the beginning of this text in verse 26, this is the sixth month, and the sixth month is measuring the time since Elizabeth conceived. So earlier in this same chapter, we hear that John the Baptist will be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. So it's been six months since Elizabeth has conceived with John the Baptist. So this sets the stage for the encounter that will happen afterwards when Mary and Elizabeth meet together. Gabriel is once again assigned to the duties of bringing this message to Mary and that it takes place in Nazareth. Now, only Luke records this episode. None of the other gospel writers record the moment at which the angel Gabriel appears and where the angel appears. And part of that is there's a tradition that Luke likely received these stories from Mary herself, that at some point later in their lives, Luke had time with Mary, and she likely shared some of these stories that are unique to his gospel, and thus they're not included in any of the other ones. What we learned about Mary is that she's betrothed to a man named Joseph, who we have not met and will not really meet too much in Luke's version. He's more featured in Matthew's version of this story. And typically, a uh, young woman, or the way we would describe it even as girls, were betrothed at age 13, and that betrothal lasted for one year in the ancient world. Now, during that time of betrothal, the marriage was arranged, uh, the date of the wedding had already been determined, and the uh, soon-to-be bride and soon-to-be groom lived apart during that betrothal period, and then upon their marriage they lived together. So it was really a two-step process, the betrothal, or the beginning of the engagement, then followed by the wedding. It mentions here um, that there is a way in which Mary is connected through Joseph to the Davidic line, in other words, the line of Davidic kings that come from King David, and that, that lineage is passed through the paternal line, or the male line of that family. So one is Jewish by birth due to the, uh, whether or not one's mother is Jewish. But the, notice, the, the, the Davidic household or the Davidic line is not passed through the maternal line, but through the paternal line. Mary learns in this greeting when the angel Gabriel first appears to him, it says he appeared in her home and says, greetings, favored one. Now, this address to Mary is uh, a bit odd, and we'll talk more about it in just a moment, but let's just talk about the word Mary for a moment. Uh, Marion in Greek it means exalted one, and it was quite a common name during the first century, so there were quite a few named Mary. It says that, that she was a virgin named Mary. There's been a lot of discussion in scholarly circles about what virgin means. There have been some who suggest that the word virgin doesn't connotate any person's uh, uh, sexual uh, status, but rather it's a, uh, a comment on their age or station in life. And two different times the angel Gabriel notes that she's a virgin, or it can be rendered virgin or young maiden or young woman of marrying age. It could mean someone who's never had a sexual experience, could mean someone that's just young. That's all there. But parsing all of that makes little sense, since Both convey the same meaning. Luke makes clear what's happening in the story. And the natural reading of the text makes a great deal of sense that she's betrothed but not married. She hasn't had any sexual relations yet. And thus the announcement comes to her in the form that Gabriel brings it to her. That Gabriel comes into the house and greets her there. And he says that she is a favored one. It's a strange way for, for him to greet her. Usually it would be the reciprocal She's not selected by merit. She's selected by divine calling. Favored one means God has had favor on her so that she hasn't necessarily done anything that would warrant why she's chosen above any other young woman. It's simply that God has favored her. And then goes on, the angel Gabriel goes on to say that the Lord is with you. It's in the present tense that God is already present with her. Mary's completely perplexed by the greeting. And it's indicated as much as when she responds where it says she's pondered what kind of greeting this would be. Uh, Luke likes to use a certain mood uh, of the Greek verb. It's called the optative mood. It's the mood for wish or wonder. And Mary simply ponders this. She can't quite make sense of how and why Gabriel is greeting her the way he is. Why would an angel address her in such deferential terms is what she's pondering. It's very different than the way Zechariah was addressed earlier in this chapter. There's no language in that particular passage where Zechariah was favored or that the Lord was with him. It just simply was announced to him that he and his wife Elizabeth would conceive and have a son who would be John the Baptist. It opens up the key passageway for us here. Callings from God come at the right time. Time is hard to understand from our perspective, because uh, as we learn from some of the early fathers and mothers of the church, that God lives in what's called an eternal now, beyond time. So if this is the case, these callings or words or promptings that we have from God seem timely to us for a reason. When God calls, there's little question of readiness It seems like when we read these calling stories, not only in Luke's gospel, but throughout the entire Bible, we find people who truly believe themselves to be unprepared for that which God has called them to do. God knows what we need, and it is the right time. Why? Because if God is calling, the time must be right. The story of this conversation between the angel Gabriel and Mary continues to unfold in verses thirty to thirty four, with Mary's um, uh, engagement or obsession with the how this will all happen. First of all, Gabriel assures her to not be afraid. This is customary in calling experiences in the Bible. He says that she has found favor with God. This is a repeat of what he said earlier, greetings favored one. So it's important to state that this is all unmerited. God is the one who calls. We are the ones who respond. And it closely reflects, this language that we read in verse 30 and 31, closely reflects a passage in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's designed to mirror this episode in Isaiah's life of calling and to be a fulfillment of that scripture. So the angel Gabriel says three things to her. That first she's going to conceive, then she's going to bear a son, And the third is that she's to name him Jesus. The name Jesus is given to Mary to give to the son that will be born to her. You shall name him Jesus. He's quite clear. Uh, And the word Jesus uh, means uh, Yahweh saves or God saves. So Jesus's name literally means salvation. There's nothing really odd at this point. She's simply hearing that which will take place. So the angel Gabriel hasn't said that she's going to not conceive through a son through Joseph, that she's not going to bear a son. Of course, that she's going to conceive, bear a son, in the name him Jesus. There's a conventionality to what Gabriel is suggesting here because the issue about how this will occur hasn't been named quite yet. So there's nothing really odd at this point, but then it gets a little bit more intriguing when the angel Gabriel goes on then to say down in verses 31 and 32. That he will be great, this son that Mary will be. He'll be son of the Most High, and that the Lord will give him his throne. Now this is where the confusion begins to set in for Mary. How will all this be? In other words, how will all this come to pass? And it's very similar to the same kind of question that Zechariah had. So son of the Most High triggers her response, because up until that point, everything seems like it could have happened through Joseph, her husband, but now it's clear that this son that she's going to bear isn't going to be through Joseph. It's going to come through some other means. So in her response to Gabriel, she says that she's not been with any man, Joseph or anyone else. And it's her response here that helps us understand the grammatical problem of what it means for her to be a virgin virgin, young maiden, however you want to translate it, that's fine. But what she confesses here in the story in Luke's gospel is that she's not been with any man. So without any kind of sexual relations, she's going to conceive, bear a son, and name him Jesus. And this is a key passageway for us here as this begins to take shape in the conversation between Gabriel and Mary. The key passageway is this, is that our condition or circumstance sometimes block our revision. Mary is tracking what Gabriel is telling her. Her question is about how all this will be. Gabriel spends more time talking about who Jesus will be rather than how it will happen. So let's frame it a different way. Her question is more about how than what, and Gabriel is more about what before how. You know, being her age and station in life bring this question in a way that's different from Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who's going to conceive uh, and give birth to John the Baptist, is at a different place in her life. She is beyond childbearing years, yet she's able to conceive and give birth to a child. She has her own circumstance or condition that blocks her vision, as Zechariah did when he first heard this message. And Mary manifests the same thing. She's wanting to know how this is going to happen. And the angel has to explain it to her that her vision has become a little bit too small and the angel Gabriel is now about to open it up. If we continue to move to verses 35 to 37 of this story, we begin to hear how the angel responds to Mary's question that she asks at the end of verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel then answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And this is powerful. It's just like the prophets and kings of old. We read in the Old Testament time and time again about how the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God came upon people. And so Gabriel says the Spirit will come upon her in the same sort of way and that the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Something will happen that's beyond her experience. And that the child conceived in her and born through her will be called the Son of God. So notice something interesting is that she conceives by the power of the Holy Spirit, but the angel Gabriel never explicitly says that. It's completely inferred. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child shall be called the Son of God. Now even then the angel goes on to tell her that even Elizabeth has conceived in her old age, that they're connected in some way. But Gabriel wants her to know that something is happening that would seem equally as impossible to Mary. And that's why the angel then says nothing is impossible for God, especially when referring to Elizabeth and to her. So God is moving without regard for limitations when one condition is met. Now, we'll talk more about that one condition in a moment. But for right now, let's just focus on what's happening in the story about how God is going to provide a way where it seems like there is no way. That's the key passageway for us here, that God provides beyond our expectations. Often, we try to use our own common sense, how to figure out how to follow Jesus. But what we often forget is that God has already done a lot of the heavy lifting. Our work is not the how, our work is the what. What has God called us to do, not how it's supposed to be done. Our work is the work that God affords us to do. And if we can let God do the work that only God can do, our expectations can be exceeded. I heard years ago from Pastor Rick Warren, just an important pithy little quote, where God guides God provides and I found it to be true true in my own life true in my own experience it's but it's always difficult to trust that God is going to provide and this is what Mary begins to uncover in the story and she brings the one essential ingredient that's necessary for God to provide What Mary brings, that one ingredient that's necessary in the story for her to bring, is in verse 38 when she says, Behold, the Lord's bondservant, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This statement by Mary is what the entire episode hinges on, that God will do all of the heavy lifting. God will do all of the how in this equation without regard to limitations, but there is one thing that's needed. And what's needed is Mary's confession. And Mary's confession signals her cooperation. It's the sum of her response to God's calling. She says two basic things. Number one, I am a servant. So she understands herself in reference to who God is very clearly. And second, may it be done to me according to your word. She completely puts herself in submission before God's purpose and God's call. May it be done to me according to your word. It's, notice the passive voice of how the verb is framed here. That the work is going to be done by God. She simply needs to allow that work to occur. Her confession is in many ways the pattern for all confessions to God. She confesses who she is. I am a servant. And who will do the work? God will do the work. So, in this sense, she's the first to believe in the message of the gospel. Before there are the miracles of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, she believes before any of those things, before the cross and resurrection. She chooses to cooperate with God's work. She gets to the place where God is already at. This is what God needs from each and every one of us. And Mary is in every way a a model and a prototype for us about how we're to respond to God's invitation in our life. And that's the final key passageway for this week, that cooperation is our work with God. As Wesleyan people, followers of uh, the, the, the way of life that John Wesley lifted up to us, is that the movement of God's grace is either resisted or cooperated with. We choose. God is not at work predestining and ordering things. God is at work moving. God is at work doing things. But God does so in human agency. God does that through and with us. God is inviting. God is wooing. God is drawing. God is manifesting. And what is left for us to do is simply to discern all the ways God is doing that, and then to decide if we're going to be a part of what God is doing or not. So in this sense, we are not completely passive agents. God moves, and we make an active choice to follow or not. This is our agency, and our agency needs to align with God's agenda, Our will is to choose to love in cooperation with the holy. Cooperation is our work with God. If you have comments or reflections, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit my website at revcraig.org. In the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a button titled News. Click on that button. You'll see a drop-down menu. Then click on Podcasts. and Then click on this week's episode and leave a comment. I'd also invite you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.